Amen. Well, thank you, praise team, and good morning, church. It's as uh, my joy and my pleasure to be back in here this morning giving the word, and Pastor Scott is getting ready to go into second month of sabbatical now, so I hope he's enjoying his time to recuperate and relax, and uh, he was here first service, so you guys missed out, and uh, it was a, a, I've been accused apparently of being in his closet this morning because we want to keep the consistency going of plaid shirt, khaki pants, that way you guys know you're in the right church this morning, but um, that's, I, that was not planned, but it was pointed out first service, so that's pretty interesting, got the right uniform on. Anyway, so um, those of you who are here this morning, it's awesome to see you. Um, some of the church is still out at the campground, and Pastor Greg is going to be leading worship out there with those folks. But we are all gathered together in spirit this morning and in unity of the Lord, and um, we're grateful to, to be in his house this morning. Um, last Sunday, we got to hear from Brother Jeff bring a great word on Father's Day. So we're going to go back into where we were two weeks ago when we were talking about worship. And uh, we asked the questions, you know, what is worship? But more specifically, why do we worship? And so today we're going to be looking at um, how do we worship as individuals? How do we worship in our private time and, and individually? And next week we'll look at how do we worship together corporately as a body when we, we come together. So um, kind of refresher, last two weeks ago we kind of we, we asked the questions, uh, are you giving God your best when it comes to worship? Do you realize who you're talking to when it comes to worship? And then the big question was, how's your worship? And so my hope with those questions was to uh, kind of spur us on to search uh, our hearts and to sincerely ask ourselves and to ask God, you know, how is my worship? Is it, is it pleasing to you? Is it, is it an acceptable offering to you, God? And so my goal in that wasn't to, to call any one of us out to, to express any disdain or disappointment with our worship. Uh, it definitely wasn't to try to convict anyone because that's not my job, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does through his word, and, and he brings us uh, into conviction. My role is to just teach what God's word says and to, to uh, share his word with lost people and with the saints. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to look to his word and examine a little bit about private worship. How do we worship God individually and in our quiet time? So in these three little mini-series, in these three messages about worship, I just want to add this little disclaimer that three sermons on worship is not the all-encompassing, absolute, thorough examination of Scripture when it comes to worship. God's Word is chock-full of how we present an offering of worship to God, what worship means. And we can't feel all that in the three weeks' time. We could do a year-long study on worship and, and, and barely scratch the surface. And so that's my little disclaimer. So if anyone wants to, we want to ask the questions afterwards, how come you didn't talk about this? Or you missed the opportunity to talk about my favorite verse. Well, I'm sorry, I guess. Um, Maybe next time we can get into that, or maybe a small group would love to just dive into a study on worship and just do it for a year or two and just keep going until you've covered everything there is to cover on worship. These little messages are just what God has specifically laid on my heart over the last couple of weeks of, 
of preparing these, and hopefully it can kind of shine a light uh, in our hearts and in God's Word of what we should be doing in our, in our worship time. And so that's just my little disclaimer. So other than that, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 16 through 22 this morning. For some reason or another, we don't have all the scripture slides this morning, but we've got this one, so we could just leave this one up the whole message because we're going to refer back to it over and over. But for the other little, um, the other verses that we're going to have, you can just note them down and, and, and turn with me to them, and we can look at those together. Now, before we jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, it was just, I just want to again touch on the uh, the church camp out, which was hopefully a really a good time of fellowship together and, and being in time with them. So when it came time to figure out who was going to split the duties between campground, mosquitoes, tents, kids running by the fire, or being here, uh, it was a really easy choice for me to say, I'll volunteer to stay at the church. Greg, you can do all the camping you want. Um, you know, I used to like outdoors and camping and, and all that stuff, but uh, the Army has a way of making fun things not fun anymore, and so camping and living in a tent and that stuff just doesn't appeal to me like it used to. Same goes for running, obviously, uh, and lots of other things that, you know, used to be all right, but now it's just like, no, that's, uh, I'm, I'm fine, I'll pass. Um, yeah, <laughs> I got my first thing, amen, yes. Um, but that's why I, <clears throat> so it was such an easy decision for me to, to come here, so I'm glad to be sharing with you this morning. I don't know what they're doing out there, but we're going to look here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 22. So our main kind of focus is going to be on 16 through 18, but it's so hard to shut it off where we're going to be, so we're going to read through 22 also. So verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to gather together in your house, Lord, and in your presence. We pray for your spirit to just uh, illuminate anything that you want us to learn from your word this morning, uh, that it separate bone and marrow and that it just do a work in us, God, that we can see what you'll have for us today. And what we can take with us when we leave this building. We thank you, God, for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, going back to verse 16, it's a very short, simple, two-word verse, right? It says, rejoice always. And it, it's short because in this passage and in all of this book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica that they're Christians, they're believers, they understand what he means by when he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. He doesn't have to break down each part of that. They knew what he was saying. They understood when he told them to pray without ceasing, they didn't have to say, what does he mean? They, they understood because they had heard from his teaching before. They'd been following Christ. And out of all these churches that had risen up, that had been planted, this church was doing really well without Paul. Some of them were struggling falling into to false teaching, but the church in Thessalonica, they were, they were flourishing. Even under Roman persecution, they were still just flourishing and, and, and doing a, a great work and being a light for Christ. 
And so when he tells them rejoice always, they knew what he meant, rejoice always. It was very easy. But in this whole passage of Scripture, in in chapter 5, this is an encouragement that Paul is giving to this church. He's giving them some basic principles and, and foundational things to live by, not just as followers of Christ, but followers of Christ in anticipation of his coming. What do we do while we're waiting for Jesus to return? We are doing these things. These are the things you should do. And so the first thing in in this passage is rejoice always. It's pretty pretty self-explanatory, very clear-cut. Rejoice always. So what does that mean to rejoice always? Well, rejoicing, we get the word joy out of joyce. Rejoice. We are constantly living in joy. We are constantly showing joy. We are projecting joy. And when we add the rejoicing to it, we're doing it over and over again. Living in joy, being uh, alike, showing joy. And when we are living in joy and rejoicing always, and that's pleasing to the Lord. And when any time that we're pleasing the Lord and, and, and he is uh, pleased by what we're doing, that's an act of worship. And so if we're rejoicing always, we are worshiping God in our spirit and in our act of showing joy. And so as a follower of Christ, because of who I am in Christ Jesus, I should be able to have joy in my heart. Amen. Because of what he's done for me, because he stepped out of heaven, took on flesh, died for me, atoned for all my sin, and now I can have life forevermore and no longer be sentenced to this death that I deserve, I should have joy in my heart. And I should be joyful when I tell others about him. And so it should be easy for me to rejoice always. Now we'll get to the the circumstances of life and the messiness of life here in a little bit. But because I am, I've been redeemed by Jesus because of the work on the cross that he did for me, because of his grace, because I am a child of the Most High King, I can find joy in the midst of anything. Amen? I can worship God through the joy that I exhibit to those around me. Rejoicing always, like Paul commands us to do here, is a form of worship. God finds it pleasing when we have joy. That's what we want to do. We want to please him. We want to show him our gratitude. And joy is one way we do that, when we rejoice always. Joy is so important that Paul mentions it over and over in his letters. And so one other example is in Galatians 5. We're going to just kind of skip around through a lot of Paul's letters today. So um, luckily they're pretty... They're all close together, so we can flip right back and forth. So we're going to be in Galatians 5 for a second. And um, most of all of us know this passage of Scripture as Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. And it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so... In order for us to have joy, to have love, to have peace, patience, all these things, we have to first have the Spirit of the Lord in us, right? Because without Jesus, 
Without his spirit in us, we can't know love. The Bible tells us we can know love if we know God. If we don't know God, we don't know love. And so that's the first fruit of the spirit is love, right? In fact, it's so important, you know, love that it's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second of this is to love your neighbor as yourself. So love obviously is the first fruit of the spirit, no doubt. We can't even get to joy if we don't have love, right? So we love is, is, is the utmost primary important thing in our fruit. And our fruit is that outpouring, that what we produce because of the Spirit of God in us. And so love, joy. is. But see, I don't think it's an accident that joy is the second thing listed here in these fruits. Because out of the love comes the joy. Out of the joy comes the peace. Out of the peace comes the patience. We have to have joy. And when we have joy, man, it pleases God. He is pleased. And it is worship. So imagine, if you will, that... You want to tell the world about this person whom you love so much. And you do it without any joy in your heart. And you're just like, man, yeah, they're all right. I love this person. They love me. It's great. It's the best thing ever. Without any joy, it doesn't really sound very, you know, it it doesn't come across well. But imagine you have joy in your heart and you want to share somebody. You want to tell somebody about Jesus. You're like, man, Jesus died for me. He's never left me alone. He has been in every valley with me. He, is, he died for me. He, I broke every law he's ever had, and he still loves me. Didn't press the charges against me for breaking the law. Man, I have, should be able to tell someone about Jesus, and they should just be able to see the joy in my heart and the joy that I have because of him. And so if I try to tell somebody about Jesus without joy versus with joy, you think there'd be a difference in the way it's received? And so our joy or our lack thereof affects our witness for Christ. So we want to be joyful. We want to rejoice always, as Paul says. And it is a wonderful way to, to, for God to receive worship is by him seeing our rejoicing. He is so pleased with it. Also, Paul tells the church in, uh, in Philippi, if we want to look to the Philippians 4 right quick, We'll flip over or just make the note, Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoicing in the Lord always. It is so vital to our worship and to our witness. You know, anytime you see in the Bible something is repeated twice, it means it's important. And when Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, he's saying, listen up, this is about to be important. Paul uses that same thing here with rejoicing. He says it twice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He's saying it's important. Write it down. Take note. Rejoice in the Lord always. It is so vital to our worship, to our individual worship. How we worship as followers of Christ in our private time. And in our, in our corporate time as well, but even when we're not in church, we can rejoice always. So here's the second point. It goes back to verse 17 of that First Thessalonians passage. It says, pray without ceasing. Again, very short verse, but very almost self-explanatory. It's so important that prayer is probably outside of 
um, our, our time in his word, prayer is probably the most important way that we worship God in our individual time. God is pleased when we spend time with him in prayer. And if he is pleased with what it is worship, it is showing him worship. And so uh, it is it's so important to, to pray without ceasing. It is worshiping. In fact, in Matthew 6, when Jesus is, is teaching his disciples to pray, he begins his worship. You know, our Father who art in heaven, he is acknowledging the Father's divinity. He's, he's acknowledging his lordship, that he alone is, is in heaven, that he is God. And he follows up with, hallowed be thy name. He's showing reverence and awe for his name. It's like we talked about two Sundays ago. God's name is a big deal. He is worried, or he's not worried, but he, is, uh, he, he cares about how his name is presented. And it's a big deal. And so when we go to him in reverence, in awe, just like Jesus taught the disciples, we are giving him worship. We are praising him. Now, sometimes in that passage, I've heard people get caught up with the, the without ceasing part. Like, how do I pray without ceasing? It's impossible. I can't be in prayer 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's not what Paul's saying here. The without ceasing part is it means that we just have, we have prayer on the forefront of our brain. Prayer is our default setting, right? When we, when we wake up, our default setting is prayer. We go to God in prayer, thanking him for putting our feet on the ground, for, for life, for breath in our lungs. Pray without ceasing doesn't mean that we're in a constant prayer vigil forever and ever. I mean, there's times when we'll be driven to our knees and we'll be in constant prayer. But this prayer without ceasing is that it is uh, a mindset that um, it, it asks the question, do we pray persistently? Do we pray regularly? That's what Paul is asking here when he talks about prayer without ceasing, that we always have the mindset of prayer. You know, I can pray when I'm washing the car, which is kind of pointless around here with all the dusty roads. But I could pray while I do it. You know, I could pray while I'm driving. Just keep your eyes open. We don't want closed eyes praying and driving at the same time. That would be hazardous. But I can have the mindset to be in prayer and to be praying without ceasing. That's what it means is are you thinking about communing with God? Are you thinking about being in prayer with him? That's what pray without ceasing means. And so, again, Paul finds prayer to be a big deal. And it's a, it, it relates to our worship. And so, uh, look over in Colossians 5 with me. Colossians 4. Again, we're going through, bouncing around in Paul's letters today. Colossians 4, verse 2, says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so not only are we just have prayer in the forefront of our mind, we're continuing steadfastly, which means we are immovable when it comes to prayer. We are standing in the gap, ready to pray. We are praying, and we're being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We are giving thanks when we pray. We are having a mindset of going to the Lord in prayer. Uh, for it, it's, it's praise. It's worship. We, we give him thanks when we pray. But also we go to God in supplication for the others, right? We pray for those around us. We pray for, for those who don't know Christ. We, know, we pray for 
uh, somebody who's not able to come to church or because they're sick or whatever it is, but we, we go to the Lord in prayer and uh, it, it, with thanksgiving. And so if we, if we go to God in prayer, we know that we can ask him anything in prayer. God's word tells us that. In fact, we jump out of Paul's letters and into John's real quick. First John chapter 5. First John 5, 14 and 15 says this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. I'm not saying that God's not, God's not answering everything we pray. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. Right? And if he hears us, and it's in his will, then we'll have those requests. It's what God's word promises us. So not only is it good for us to be able to go to God, thank because of Jesus, we can have direct access to the Father, but God delights in our trusting him enough, in our, in our faith in him enough that we can ask him for anything, that we can go to God with the little things just as much as the big things because he hears us and he loves us. And it's worship to go to him in prayer. Taking our, our, our cares and our, and our things to God and asking for him to intervene and to help is worship. Because it's acknowledging his goodness. It's acknowledging how much he loves us. Just like we sang this morning, you, he is good. He is good. And he loves us when we come to him. And it's a form of worship. So here's the third point in that passage in, in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, very pointed. It makes sense. It's easy to understand, but sometimes it's hard to wrap our heads around, hard to wrestle with the in all circumstances part, because it's not always easy to give thanks when it's hard and when it's in the, we're in the valley. It's easy to give God thanks when things are good, right? It's easy to say, thank you, Jesus, when things are going well. But it's not always as easy when times are tough, right? But that's what Paul says here. We can give thanks in all circumstances. You know, giving thanks to God, thanking him for the things that we have, thanking him for everything, is worship. Again, we're praising him for being a good, good God. Telling him thank you is worship. You know, it's easy when things are going well. In fact, even when, when I, we tuck our kids in at night and we're praying together, most of, the, most of the prayer is thanks. You know, thank you, God, for our family. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for our, the grace that you give us. Thank you, thank you. It's easy for the thanks to come out when we're on the mountain. It should be easy when we're in the valley as well, when the Spirit of God is in us. But because of our human nature, it is hard. Right? We want to find ways out by ourselves or, or we want to you know, question why. But it, God's word tells us to give thanks in all circumstances, even in the hard parts, even when life gets messy, because life will get messy. It does get messy. It's in those times when we're in the, the midst of the, the muck and the mire that we should rejoice in the Lord always. 
Be praying without ceasing and giving thanks in all circumstances to God for his son, for Jesus, for his grace and for his mercy. This brings God worship when we give him thanks in all things. And so um, I want to share a little story with you. Um, I grew up in church, but I never really knew God until I surrendered my life to him when I was an adult. And so all through my younger days, getting drugged to church and trying to pretend like I was still asleep or sick so I didn't have to go, and my mom dragging me out of bed anyway, making me go to church. Um, that was, I thought I knew God. I thought I knew church, but not really until I surrendered to him and his spirit came to dwell within me. But I grew up attending a charismatic church, and so it's a little different than what we, how we worship here. Um, in fact, it might, uh, it might speak a little different to, to why I'm more borderline Baptocostal when it comes to things. Um, that, that may be part of the reason why, but uh, I don't have any, I won't say anything about the, you know, the charismatic church, but there's lots of singing and dancing and, and speaking in tongues and whatnot. And even as a kid, I was kind of like, not sure about this place. But that's not to, to bash them or anything. Was, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ as long as we believe in the same foundations of who Jesus is and what he's done. We can disagree on some of the other things, but we're still family, right? So it's just everybody has that weird uncle that, anyway, they're not, they probably think we're weird, so it's all good, as long as we're still family. But in growing up in this church, I had never even heard a hymn until I was 16 years old. And uh, there was music, there was worship. Like I said, there were, there were horns and orchestras and the whole thing, but I'd never heard a hymn. And so... My first exposure to a hymn was uh, at an Indian Baptist church in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. And, um, and for those of you who think that might be politically incorrect, I, I grew up as an Indian kid. I didn't even know what Native American meant until I was in the, in the Army, and I heard somebody say, you're not Indian, you're Native American. I'm like, I've been Indian my whole life, but okay, if you say so. <laughs> but the name of the church was First Indian Baptist Church. It was on the van and everything. That's who we was. So it was First Indian Baptist Church. And so in this you know, small church, they sang hymns straight from the hymnal. And uh, usually it was no music accompaniment. I mean, they had a piano, but nobody knew how to play it. And so it was just singing straight from the hymnal. And that's when I got my first exposure to hymns. And I was kind of, uh, you know, this 180 of being in a charismatic church and then seeing these hymns. I was like, what is going on in here? But the depth of these hymns. Man, it's, you're singing the gospel when you sing these hymns. You're talking about the blood and making me white as snow. It's, it's just so beautiful. It points to Christ in every hymn and in every lyric. And it's just, a, it's beautiful. And I'm almost rambling, but I have a point. And uh, when I was writing this message and I was thinking about the giving thanks to God in all circumstances, I thought of the song, I, I Need Thee Every Hour. And it just kept ringing in my head. And um, if if you want to hear a beautiful rendition of it, you can look on YouTube, but uh, Joey and Rory Feet, Joey has a beautiful version of it. Um, but here's a little verse and chorus from that song. I'm not going to sing it, but it says, I need thee every hour in joy or in pain. Come quickly and abide or life is vain. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. And so it's a 
beautiful words of worship, right, of praising God for who he is in, in every circumstance. And so when I first recalled that song and I did some homework on it, I just thought that this song was written out of, out of depths of pain and, and drawing near to God. But the author says no. And so the author's name, here's the little backstory to it, was, her name was Mrs. Hawks. And she wrote poems and shared them with her Sunday school class. And one Sunday, her pastor, whose name was Dr. Lowry, he encouraged her to write more stuff and set it to music and to try to write some hymns. And so she wrote a lot of hymns, but this was really her only well-known hymn that, that many people know. And so this was, a, I think it was written in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And so 20 years later, she's reflecting back to this hymn and when she wrote it. And so she wrote a letter to her friend talking about the hymn. And this is what she said, and I quote, I remember, I lost my page, I remember well the morning more than 20 years ago when in a distant city I was so filled with a sense of nearness to the master that wondering how one could live without him, either in joy or pain, these words, I need thee every hour, were flashed into my mind, the thought taking full possession of me. For myself, the hymn was prophetic rather than expressive of my own experiences at the time it was written. And I did not understand why it touched the great throbbing heart of humanity. It was not until years ago when the shadow fell over my way, the shadow of great loss, that I understood something of the comforting words which I had been permitted to give out to others in my hours of sweet security and peace. And so even when she wrote these words, it came out of, her, her heart of worship to, to draw nearer to God, not when she was in the valley, not when times were tough, but when times were good. She had the, the heart to just say, God, I need you. I need to cling to you. Every hour I need you. And that didn't, she didn't understand the depths of, of how those words were so powerful until she was in the depths. And then she's like, wow, how true these words are, that I need to cling to you. I need you every hour. Bless me. Now, my Savior, I come to thee. It's just a cool little backstory. But because her heart was tuned in to worship when times were good, that when times were tough, she already knew how to worship and to give praise, right? It's just her default is worship. We worship in the good, then we worship in the bad. When times are hard, we can pray without ceasing. We can give thanks. We can rejoice always, no matter what the circumstances are, because it gives worship to God. It's not about us. It's not about what I've got going on in my life. It's not about whether I feel like worshiping or not. It's my heart's cry to God to saying, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the blood that you shed for me. That's worship. We're praising the great I am. Because his name is great. Because his name will be praised. And we can do that in our quiet time. We can do that when we're in his word. We can do that um, in the car. We can do it anywhere. It's our heart's cry to God. Not just when we gather together to worship. We talk about the worship team and the worship music. It's all worship if it glorifies God. If it's pleasing to him, if my rejoicing always and loving my neighbor, my uh, giving him praise and thanks for all, that's worship. We have to have a heart of worship. 
that desires God. So that's my cry this morning, is in our private worship, in our time together with the Lord, that we seek Him, that we say, I need Thee. Oh, I need Thee. Not just when I'm hurting, but every hour I need Thee. I can't think to bear what it would be like to not have you, to not lean on you, to not be with you. Jesus, I need you every single hour. Not because I'm hurting right now or because times are tough, but just because of what you've done for me, because of what you're doing constantly in me, because you're continually sanctifying me and making me more like you. Man, I need you every single hour of every single day. May that be our heart's cry this week. Father, thank you for your love and for your mercy. Thank you that you are available to us through your son, Jesus. Thank you for the blood that he shed, Lord, and that we may know salvation through him. And God, I pray that as we go out on our separate ways this week, as as individuals, that in our private time and in our alone time, Lord, that we just... We, we cry out to you through our prayer, through our rejoicing, and through our, our uh, just loving you and, and telling you thank you. God, help us to, to have our hearts be more like you. And if God, if there's anything in our hearts that are keeping us from you, that are keeping us from full relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you just examine our hearts and bring anything to light that's keeping us from a close relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Well, I don't have any f- 